Hey, quick note before the podcast. We're testing out some video content. So make sure you search Joe Momo Presents on YouTube or go to the link in the description. Let me know what you guys think. All right, take care. Bye. Hey, what's up, podcast family? This week I talked to Kim Roos. Kim is the CEO at Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter, leading an innovative, passionate organization dedicated to ending and preventing family violence and abuse. The Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter serves over 15,000 women, men, youth, and children through accessible community-based services every year. On the podcast, we talk about finding resilience through your struggles, how to stay connected in this time of disconnection, what needs to be different in the various social issues we face, and much, much more. Remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You get awesome local leader and entrepreneur stories each week jam-packed with their unique insights. Leave me feedback at joe at codessa.io on some of the stories or questions you want to hear. I read them all now to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Thank you very much. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I've had a few nonprofit leaders be on the podcast, but I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. You're obviously the um, CEO of the Women's Emergency Shelter, and uh, you have a ton of um, experience in program delivery, and um, I saw a little bit of your LinkedIn profile too. So um, yeah, before I jump into all of that, perhaps give us a little backstory on who, who Kim is. Sure. Um, So thanks very much for having me today. Um, Yeah, so I've been uh, the CEO at the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter now for just about seven years. And um, so it seems weird to have a focus on family violence and abuse, but that's really been my passion is really ending that issue um, in our community. And so it was a dream job really to get to um, and an honor to serve in that way in that organization. And prior to that, I did a lot of work with uh, homelessness and child abuse and still domestic violence as well. But um, uh, yeah, it felt like my career was sort of building to the point of landing in this particular role. So it's, it's been great. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you stepping back a little bit? I know mm-hmm. you went to the University of Virginia. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> How'd you end up in Calgary? <laughs> uh, that's an interesting story, actually, because I, so I, I went to UVAR and, um, and actually, so it's interesting because back then you didn't have to register a lot in advance. I literally showed up the day before and said, hey, maybe I'll take some classes. Um, and I know it's far more competitive now and different, but I landed in sociology and did loved it, just fell in love with it. I did my first degree in that and thought that I would be able to get out of school and have the world by its tail and just, you know, take on um, big challenges. And I was offered a job as a filing clerk and I, in a, a small office. And I thought, I this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. So uh, at that time in Saskatchewan, jobs were tough to come by. And so I, I thought, well, Calgary, I'd always loved the idea of Calgary. So I really just hopped in my car and came to Calgary and decided to start a new life here. And then very quickly realized that it was incredibly competitive here and very high paced, great energy and so on, but decided I needed to go back to school again. So I, I then went to U of C for quite a long time and uh, entered the nonprofit sector here in Calgary. So I actually never worked in Saskatchewan in, in my field. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you always envision working in nonprofits or is that kind of something you fell into? 
Um, you know, probably I didn't understand um, that the kind of work that I wanted to do could actually could have been in something in a more corporate setting, but I always was drawn to helping people. So I, I just thought that um, I wanted to be the best at doing that, uh, which is why I kept going to school as well. But um, the, it just seemed like I was so interested in like dynamics, relationships, uh, what what you could do to help people be their best and be healthy. And I didn't at the time understand that that actually could have been, you know, I could have done that in a corporate setting too. So I fell into, um, I think I more, more likely fell into the nonprofit world and then very quickly realized that I'm quite a values driven person. And so I, I loved the work. I, you know, I didn't realize that there'd be, you know, it's not called nonprofit for a reason. <laughs> but, so, so that's in there. But, um, but I've always been drawn to that kind of um, work that deals with relationships and connections and is about, you know, helping people be better and, um, and equitable in the community. And then the ending violence thing came a little bit later, but I've always been drawn to that kind of work. And then once I landed here in Calgary, because what's interesting about nonprofit in Calgary is that it's far more entrepreneurial than other provinces, right? So it's not, you don't, just because you're a nonprofit in Alberta doesn't mean you have to work for government. You can, there's so many things you can do. And so that really excited me. And then I just ended up staying in nonprofit because of that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. for, for those who don't know, maybe some of the listeners don't know, but what does the Calgary Women's Emergency, Emergency Shelter do, do that uh, maybe some, some of our listeners won't know? Sure. So you hear our name and you think um, you think shelter, right? So that's the cornerstone program. So we do have a 50 bed shelter in Calgary. Um, but we also have uh, counseling and outreach uh, to work with people around uh, creating safety plans, making sure that their relationships are, are safe, um, making changes in their lives so that they can live lives free of family violence and abuse. Uh, one thing that they don't people don't often realize that we do is we do a ton of work with men. Uh, so we have, we've been working with men since 1993, and, um, and we're really about helping families be healthy, whether they choose to stay together or not. Often kids are involved, so our largest client group is children. And, um, and so we're really dedicated to helping men and women be their best selves, best co-parent, um, you know, best partner. We know that people will repartner. And so we are very invested in helping people learn and grow and change. And that's really exciting to me about um, the uh, Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter because it really is about hope, change, and the possibility of um, healthy and um, safe relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, one thing that kind of <laughs> struck my attention is uh, you mentioned that nonprofits here in Calgary are a little bit more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny you say that actually too, because uh, I, I interviewed a couple other nonprofit leaders and they said the same thing. Interesting, um, yeah. But for, you, for your perspective, Kim, do you, would you say you're an entrepreneur, have that entrepreneurial uh, spirit? Yeah, in Pro probably. People that know me would say that. Um, I am not ever really content with the status quo. So I'm always changing things. If you were to ask uh, people at work, they would say that, um, that I'm always looking for how we can do things better, how we can be different, what's the niche, what are we missing? Um, so it's never stagnant, like it's always, um, it's always growing, which drives some people crazy a little bit because it's, <laughs> it's always moving and changing and growing. Um, but I have the belief that um, if, you're gonna, if you're going to work in nonprofit and you're going to you know, really have people's lives in your hands. It, it there's um, 
there's an obligation, I think, to uh, to be your best and to be uh, innovative and um, and constantly challenging the status quo so that you can be the best for people. Because it, it sometimes nonprofits are kind of a last resort for people that are really struggling. Um, so yeah, I think I'm uh, I I wouldn't do well in just like sort of a government setting where there's a bureaucracy and so on. I I like to sort of you know bend the rules, try, try things differently. Um, and you know, shake it up a little bit. So, like we've got, uh, we're currently launching an app in in Calgary that helps with um, knowing when there are shelter vacancies and that sort of thing. So we're always sort of adding these different um, ways of doing things in in our work. Yeah, absolutely. Now I like to call it um, intestinal fortitude. So a lot of entrepreneurs oh. have it. You actually picking up from Regina and going to Calgary. I think that takes a lot of <laughs> intestinal fortitude there too. But uh, for when you first started your career. What, what do you wish you would have known now that you've kind of progressed? I, you know what? That's a really good question, too. I, I wish that I had understood then the power of the systems that are in place in um, sort of that social service, human service world. I, I think I had um, dreams and ideas about oh, changing the world, right? Taking it on, changing the world, making it great. And then you start to realize that the, the nonprofit groups are actually a system as well. And that's a hard thing to come to realize when you're a young professional and you, you know, you just want it all to be amazing and great. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, there are some rules and systems and things in place that you can't really change overnight. Um, and so I think I, I wish I would have known that sooner. Uh, and I probably would have had a different kind of patience in my earlier career. I think now I'm in a place where I've been around long enough and I understand how some of that works that I can, I can um, challenge things differently now in my career than I could have earlier. But I, I wish I had, that's one thing I actually wish I would have known. It would have saved a lot of frustration and, and maybe helped me uh, be a little more uh, strategic <laughs> as I move <laughs> through my career. Yeah. <laughs> had some tough lessons. Yeah. 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 I mean, hindsight's always 2020. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, one thing I did want to ask you is obviously through through everybody's path, we always go through challenges and mm -hmm. um, failures. I, although I don't like calling it failures, just learning opportunities. But mm -hmm. for you, Kim, have you had any challenges, or how did you have oh. how did you overcome those challenges? I've had tons of challenges. Uh, you know, it's funny when you think about like when you say picking up and moving here was entrepreneurial. It was. I ended up being homeless when I moved to Calgary. Oh. Um, and I, so I lived in my car for a while. And uh, so I was lucky I had a car, but um, it was a very old, expensive car, but um, it cost me a lot of money. But um, so I, I think th that was sort of my first real hurdle in coming to the city and trying to figure out how to make it. And I refused to go back home to Saskatchewan. I insisted that like, I just needed to, to make it. So I, I pushed through and um, found ways to, um, to get through that and get back into school and, um, uh, and then really uh, dig in and and fight that fight for equity for people and to make sure that people have opportunities. So that was sort of one of my first early challenges. I think, yeah, that'd be probably one of the biggest ones I faced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, lots of lots of people um, are facing tons of challenges right now because of the pandemic. Uh, but for you personally, mm -hmm. have you seen anything on your side, even maybe even professionally as well? Um, for a challenge right now? Yeah. Uh, Oh, there's, there's so many. I think um, what worries me right now, I think, is um, that the pandemic is really changing how people relate and how we connect. And so it's, um, it's been a challenge to try and innovate in this context, um, a service that 
really relies on people reaching out to us in a way that they have privacy and safety. And so it's changing how we connect with community, how we connect with our client base, um, and it's changing how people ask for help and how we help each other. So I think for me, what that's a challenge I'm seeing right now is how do we build safety, build connections for people at a time when um, we're being required to social distance and you know isolate sometimes and those kinds of things. So it's, because um, my work is all about relationships, right? Everything that I do is all about conversation, relationships and connection. And the, the COVID situation is making that far more challenging and difficult. And I, and I worry that um, there are people that are trapped in, in really um, difficult circumstances that now don't have that, um, that connection to the, the outside world. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of relationships, I find relationships are also very important when you're going through your career and path. Mm -hmm. um, for you personally, though, have you had any like mentors or even um, resources yeah. that's really helped you along the way? Uh, mentors, I have been very, very lucky and fortunate. I, uh, early on when I moved to Calgary, I met this wonderful woman who was a, um, uh, she actually hired me and I remember saying to me, someday I'll work for you. And I was like, no, you won't. <laughs> um, and almost happened. Unfortunately, she passed away before that could happen. But, um, but she was, uh, she was an early mentor for me. And then, uh, I had one other, um, uh, actually all my mentors have passed away I just realized that that's kind of sad but I I've had um, people that have influenced my career absolutely and pushed me to be um, more self-reflective and um, and really concentrate on on learning how to um, uh, shine a light on my own blind spots and be able to work on myself so that I can be better in um, in relationships and in connections I think that ties a little bit so the a resource that I use a lot um, that I rely on I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram but um, so I, I've done the IEQ nine and I do a lot of work with myself around um, that self-reflection and understanding my, my core type and style and how I um, can, can grow and develop and, and be better with people and, and in my role. So that's, that's been a, a game changer for me too. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of self-reflection, um, if you have to self-reflect and really boil down who Kim is, what your hmm. skill is in one word or even one trait, what would you say huh. uh, that is? tenacious maybe yeah tenacious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah awesome yeah. um yeah my my next question was um what's uh, like i mentioned i talked to a lot of nonprofit leaders and mm -hmm. they always talk about the nonprofit myth but um i'm just curious from your from your perspective mm -hmm. what's one common myth about um nonprofits that you wish you would debunk um there's a you hear this all the time as a myth out there that people think if you're in nonprofit you're in you're in the human service sector that you don't need math um, you actually need math <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately for me um, because it's uh, it really I, I think we do it a disservice if you don't treat it like a business right and there are all these aspects of nonprofit and so yeah math's part of the, the equation whether it's you know fund development or the accounting side or your outcomes and your stat your stats and your stories that kind of thing so it's um, yeah, if you're if you're wanting to go in a nonprofit to avoid math, yeah, you can't avoid math. <laughs> <laughs> it's unavoidable. That's right. <laughs> math right will find school. you wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, one question I do love to ask too is, uh, what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? Uh, you know, so many people, when they hear what I do for a living, they always ask, you know, typical questions about why doesn't she leave or, you know, lots of those kinds of questions. One question I never really get asked is, um, you know, what are, what do we need to do differently 
to really make a difference um, in ending family violence and abuse, right? So people are very interested in the services, they're very interested in that sort of angle of the work. Um, but yeah, no one really steps back and asks sort of what needs to be different on a more global um, scale to, to really make a difference. They're very interested on the relationship side of things and on the micro side, yeah. Absolutely. Which leads me to my next question: What <laughs> what uh, needs to be? <laughs> what needs to be? <laughs> That's a good trick there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I I think um, I think what needs to be different is the the issue is so um, passionate and personal for people that I think it's easy to get drawn into the more relational and micro level of the problem. Um, whereas I think the the um, what we need to be thinking about differently is really stepping back and seeing the issue. Uh, more in context within our uh, society and within our relationships within our community differently so that we're seeing all of it rather than just one side of it for so many years um, you know shelters were uh, a very needed and useful resource but that was only one part of of the, the solution and then slowly we started to work with men and boys uh, we're working with teenagers a little bit like there's some of those things are shifting and then we also look at systems but I think uh, what really needs to change is that there needs to be a community perspective that includes all of that and that all of that is seen as valid and valued in how we actually um, work to end this issue. Um, and, and it's changing. Like I think, you know, if people were to ask me five years ago, if I were to talk about our men's program, people would be shocked that we work with men and why do you do that? Why are you diverting resources to men? Now that's changed so that people actually understand why we're working with whole families and with men and boys and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the next step is, um, you know, really looking at it from a community perspective and the bystander piece and, um, and understanding that we all have a part to play in ending violence. And as long as we think it's somewhere deep inside ourselves that it's okay in certain settings, it's going to keep happening. And so that shift needs to really be all encompassing and include all of those angles of the, of the issue and have us sort of united on um, at least having an inquisitive stance to it about how can we as community members make a difference. Absolutely. One thing I did forget to ask was, um, obviously with the pandemic, things are shifting more to digital mm -hmm. and online. Have you guys had to make that pivot as well? Yes, we have, um, which is a painful one for social workers sometimes because, you know, the technology, we're, we're so used to being, you know, in relationship with people and, and you know, face-to-face -face counseling. Um, so we made shifts early. The, um, to access the services, you can access it all digitally now. You can uh, chat, text, um, you know, there's a lot of email as well as phoning. Um, so that, that helped in the early days because originally, like when the pandemic first hit, our rates of people coming into the shelter dropped really fast. And we believe that's because people couldn't get away to make a phone call in private, right? Or because uh, typically when people would come to shelter, they would do it, you know, um, uh, when they were away from their family, uh, they would make those phone calls. And so now, every, you know, everyone was um, quarantined together or, you know, or self-isolated together and uh, that couldn't happen. So once we made those digital shifts, the numbers came back up and then our counseling and our groups and everything have all been launched digitally. Um, and so we've got um, some great, you know, Zoom groups happening and, and ways of connecting with people there. And so it's, and I don't see that changing um, too much coming, you know, going forward. I think that that'll become a way of doing business. Um, I don't think it, like it might go back a little bit, but I, I could see this really changing how human service work happens, right? So it's, it's been an interesting experiment for sure. Absolutely. And you even hear the stories of uh, just other companies just shifting 100% to remotes. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the mm -hmm. normal is going to look like post-COVID. Uh, post yeah, um, yeah. Which kind of leads me to my next question. What's, um, 
how has Calgary changed or maybe even uh, the nonprofit industry changed mm-hmm. from when it first started to, to now? It's, uh, it's quite different. I think um, to keep with that technology thread, that's one angle that I think is very different from when I started. You know, now there's, um, uh, there's far more integration with technology now. Like, you know, I, and when I first started, I used to have to carry a pager <laughs> and, and then you'd have to run and find a payphone, right. To make those calls. Right. So it's very different. Now there's this accessibility that is good and bad because I think it's harder to put, you know, boundaries and limits on your life as well. Um, that's very different. I think the other thing that's different, which is, a, I think a really positive change is the realization that nonprofit um, is actually, it's a business, right? Like it, it, and people that access nonprofit services and products deserve really good quality and a, a great product. And so that has led to basically, I think in a, more of an investment in leadership, more of an investment in developing people, which I think is a positive thing because I, um, like I, I firmly believe all the services that we offer, they've got to be good enough for like my daughter, my sister, my friend, right? And so when you put that lens on it, um, now like it, the outcomes become important, the stories become important, the quality is really important. And so I think that has all shifted and become more front and center probably in the last 10 years. Absolutely. And one thing, one thing I did see um, kind of going back again, was that you're an uh, instructor at the UFC? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. How has that experience helped you kind of in your leadership path? Yeah, you know, I, it was really fun to do that. We were part of a group that helped develop uh, the curriculum for the homeless certificate, like so helping um, staff learn how to work really well and effectively with, with homeless populations. And then that was the, um, uh, so it was in the faculty social work or continuing ed that we worked. And um, it was uh, it was really humbling, I think, for me to be working with students who are sort of back where I, like I remember being in that seat, right? And, um, and trying to really bring forward to them all the things that I thought I needed at the time. And so it, it, I think it impacted me um, in a way that I, I try and be really reflective on um, the audience that I'm working with or who I'm connected with and what is it that they need. And so that was a really uh, neat experience to be able to um, to work alongside them and have those conversations, those generative conversations about, you know, what's working, what's not in the field and, and, and for such a vulnerable population too. Um, and to be connected with students who are still excited and learning and starting out and not cynical yet was, was really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I only have a couple more questions for you here, uh, sure. Kim. Um, one thing I'm curious is, I'm curious, what are you, what's Kim curious about? <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, you know, I'm curious about what's next for us like, uh, and for the nonprofit sector. There's, like, resources are decreasing. You know, fund development's becoming more difficult. Uh, we've seen governments have to spend a ton of money just to keep our community and our, our society sort of going. Um, Alberta has some particularly unique challenges with um, the uh, oil resources and, and that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm curious about what, how does our human service sector evolve itself in this next iteration? I think that for so many years, lots of organizations um, have been sort of, if you think of them as developing like human beings too, right? Like the organizations have these developmental stages, I think. And um, our sector has been functioning at a certain level for a long time. And now these challenges are pushing us to be different together and, and um, 
uh, with each other as organizations and how we work together and how we work as teams. And so I'm curious about what this pandemic does um, to push us along that journey, maybe a little bit faster than we may, might want. Um, so I'm excited for that too, but I'm curious what this means for us as professionals and how, what we need to develop in ourselves to be really great at this next challenge. Absolutely. I, I know for me personally, you, you have to de develop lots of resiliency during this mm -hmm. period. It's uh, yeah. definitely a tough time for everybody, but uh, yeah, I just got to keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So my next question would be, uh, what is, oh, sorry, just one second. Um, yeah, what is, uh, where can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, uh, so on LinkedIn, you can you can find me there under Kim Roos. Um, I think I'm the only Kim Roos on there. You, I pop up. Uh, you can also reach me at um, at the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter. So you can find me there. Uh, so it's K-I-M-R at Quest, C-W-E-S dot C-A. Perfect. And is there anything you're proud of, Kim, that maybe we haven't touched on in the interview? Um, you know what? I'm really, I, I think I'm proud of my team right now and um, how they've responded in this time of COVID and, and I'm proud of my sector too. I think, um, you know, family violence and abuse is very, uh, like it touches so many people and it is uh, like one in, one in two girls from the age of 16 will experience sexual or physical violence. Um, and so if you think about all the people that you know and just, you know, all the women and cut it in half and know that half of them are gonna have this experience, our team um, really pivoted well and quickly with COVID and our sector did too, um, in, a, in a way that was trying to make sure no one dropped in the system, right? That there, were, there was help still there. So I, I'm very proud of them for that. I think that was um, at a time when everything was scary and they were dealing with stuff in their own personal lives too, everyone stepped up and we were able to make sure that we had a, um, a safety net for people. Absolutely. And if for some, some of the listeners want to help out or even um, you mentioned fund development is a little tough oh, yes. <laughs> right now, what's, uh, how can some of the listeners connect and help, help you out there? Well, there's a, a few ways. Uh, so there's always, you know, you can host third party events. Um, our gala was canceled this year. So that was a big hit for us. Um, but it, also we, we accept volunteers. So we look for skilled volunteers. But the other thing that people don't always think about, about how they can help, which really is one of the most impactful things you can do is learn about the issue and learn how to be a good supporter for people. And so we've got a program called Take a Stand. You can do it digitally, all online. It's like 45 minutes. And it helps you understand what the signs are of family violence and abuse that you might uh, that your friends might be experiencing or your colleagues and it helps you learn about safe ways to support people and getting to the help that they need and so to me family violence is um, it's a community issue it's not a women's issue it's not an individual issue and um, and that's one of the most important things you can do is learn how to be a great supporter and we know that people will disclose to friends and family before they ever call out to a helpline or to an agency and how we respond in that moment to our friends and family will determine um, that help seeking journey and how quickly they get to resources. And so the role of community is super important. So I would encourage people to take that. You can find it on our website. So calgarywomenshelter.com, I think. And um, if you just Google take a stand, it'll come up. Awesome. And I'll add those to the description awesome. of the interview as well. So um, yeah, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Kim. Um, I usually like to end the podcast with the guest posing a question or a story to the audience. Um, so I just want to ask you, uh, do you have a question or a story to leave the audience remembering Kim Bruce? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a hard one. I, you know, I think, um, 
I don't really have a, a story or like I, I think I'm just going to look it up and see if it's on my phone here. One of the things that I um, during COVID that we tried to do with our kids. So I've got three teenage girls. Um, we tried to create family time um, in this time of disconnection and find places where we can can really, um, you know, share differently, connect differently uh, during this this time. And one of my all time favorite books is uh, or series is Lord of the Rings, which before the movies were popular, I was reading. So I read them every year every summer for 30 years um oh. <laughs> so like hard hardcore um and my kids would not like they just couldn't get into it they were like oh this is geeky it's nerdy um but one of the quotes out of that book uh that i i think really resonates today and i think so i finally got the girls to finally they finally watched lord of the rings and now they're hooked right so that now they're actually reading it so i'm really pleased with that but one of the scenes in the movie and in the books is when um frodo is um sort of lamenting that he's living in this time and Gandalf turns to him and says, you know, and so, uh, so do all who, who, um, you know, live in these times, but it's about what you do with the time that you're given. Right. So I think that's one thing. Um, I know time is precious. I think COVID has shown us that um, relationships are precious. And so I just would encourage people to like stay connected. Um, think about where you're spending your time and your energy and your life force. And um, yeah, that would, that would be, that would be all I would say, I think. Yeah.